0: I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in You could
1: see it. When you kiss me fever, when you hold me
0: tight. Fever. Oh, I wish I was in Wellington. The
1: wind is coming. Hello and welcome to Fever FM. Tonight we're going to talk about that Ridiculous display and other um, quotes from the IT crowd. I'm joined by Helena, Dave, Dale, and Cam. So full house. Uh, shall we just crack onto it? Let's just throw the big question out into the middle of the uh, field. Were we as bad as I thought we were? I'm going to
2: say I'm going to say no, um, but I will preface that to say that I watched it the day after at double speed. So. Uh, <laughs> medicine-
0: <laughs>
1: That's only half Listen, the pain, Dale.
0: Gotta say, man, that, that's a that's a massive call considering that scoreline. I've only ever once seen one oh manager God. claim his team was the better when they were when they got beaten by four goals to one. So,
2: I, I do feel when you when you're watching live, when you're when when you're following, um, when you're watching a game with other people, I think things tend to snowball. So, a couple of bad touches, everyone gets a bit frustrated, and then. Everyone sort of raving about how crap the team is and I think it just snowballs when you're watching it live when you're when you're following on Twitter. Uh, whereas I think sometimes if you watch it separate without the, the the noise around you, it's a bit easier to maybe reflect on the game as it is. And I thought for the first fifty minutes we were more than competitive. Perhaps for the first half even I thought, you yeah, know, we could quite easily have been leading into half time. Um, and I think you know, the stats showed that I think they had like one one shot on target and, and scored from it. So um, I know they kind of get, go a little bit away from us at the end, but uh, <laughs> for, the, for the most part, for at least half of the game, I thought we were at least as good as them.
3: A little bit away from us at the end. Yeah. <laughs> just like a touch. Yeah, no, just- I, mean, I tend to agree that they were competitive for the first part. But it just typifies the season to me, like in terms of everything going just unbelievably sideways very quickly, particularly the moment where you have someone missing like a guilt-edged opportunity with Costa and then in the immediate next phase of play, the game kind of falling apart for the Phoenix with the red card, et cetera, et cetera. That to me very much sums up, well, Costa's season at one level, but also the Phoenix's season at another. It was just such a frustrating and kind of insane passage of play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um let's uh rewind and get to those early good bits because I, I think we're probably gonna spend a bit of time on the dark the dark times if I know us. Um guilty Shantara right at the very beginning, uh keeping his man at bay and then using his uh, average pace are we gonna call it, just to streak out in front and not quite
0: finish. Um if that goes in Different game, right? I think it's fair to say that there's, there's many there's many occasions in that first half where we've go, if that goes in, the game's very different. It's hard to call out just one. One has obviously been in spectacular form all season, so it's okay to expect that to go in. But I, I think it's hard to say that that's the one part of the game that would change it significantly for us.
4: I honestly don't know if it would have changed the game much. Um, I I think realistically City chasing from a goal down might actually be more dangerous in some ways. We know they can score goals and their home fixture, they're flying high on confidence. I I don't know that going one goal up would have changed this much. I think maybe if you'd gone two up, um, that might be slightly different, but I think one goal only makes them try harder. And we saw... Based on the eventual result, they certainly weren't having any trouble finishing. So um, they, you know, could well have ended up the same result. It might have just been we got our one earlier than we did otherwise.
1: Well, the, the one as much as you say their their form's good, their their attacking players' form is not good. McLaren was on a bit of a yeah. dry spell. Tilio was in a dry spell, I believe Naboo
0: was as well. Nabu Naboot.
3: They were saying Naboo. On the weekend, which I've never heard before,
0: but might be right. So. I, I recall him being Naboo previously, like years ago, and then, then changing to Naboot when he came back from Japan. Yeah, I would agree with that, Cam. Yeah,
1: <sighs> yeah. so so long as we have a definitive answer. Um, yeah, there, there were uh, good chances apart from the Zawada one, the cry of shot that got deflected, um, most noticeably that Roofer shot that Glover did very well to smother. So there were opportunities and positive ones. But nothing dropping. Uh, does that? Do you think that that just got to the team? and They thought maybe this is not our day.
2: Well, I, I think you know against a, a team like Melbourne City, and you can yeah you know, talk to you know their, their current form before our game. But you know they are top of the league uh, for a reason. It's those it, you know to beat them, you have to be you know at a hundred percent almost your entire game. And you've got to take your moments when they come, and we had probably the two best chances of the game with Zawada earlier on and, and Costa later on and we didn't take them. And they had a couple of, you know, uh, decent chances and, and took them and they were more clinical. And I think, you know, that's the difference between where you need to be in, that, in the top of the early table and where we currently are is, you know, just above halfway. Um, that being able to be clinical, uh, riding a bit of luck and, and hoping that your, your, your opposition don't, don't take the chances that they inevitably will create at some point in the game. Um, I think that kind of sort of highlights that. And it's kind of been like that for a couple of weeks. I think that victory game as well was, was a bit similar where we had a couple of great chances as I say, and then they go down the other
1: end and score. As much as I, I don't want to dwell on it. Is it uh, Wooten wasn't in the starting line. Is that, Was that some of the chaos that... Do you think he would have alleviated some of that chaos in there if he was present? Or was this just a, this is the team not quite firing
2: i think it's one of these kind of impossibles to say i mean people talk of us he's a, a leader at the back there um i don't know if i've really heard him being you know hugely vocal maybe he is cam might you have it you might have a better view of it down pitch side he he,
0: he is definitely vocal
2: okay yeah I'll, I'll i'll take your opinion as gospel then um i mean i'm sure it, it, it does matter you know he is our our number one central defender yeah it, it's, it's interesting like we, we're missing our number one you know, defender and and at halftime they put on Nunes Reyes, who's probably one of the best defenders in the league. Um, you know that's the kind of the, the, the difference in depth. You know, um, and not to say Laws, I mean, is a bad player, I don't think he played particularly well in this game, but he is a, a fairly adequate you know backup defender.
0: Um, you know, if you don't have millions of dollars to spend like Melbourne City do, he's not he's not out of his depth in A League level. By any stretch of the imagination, but yes, we miss Wooten because he is our best defender, and I think that combination between him and Tim Payne it has been our best combination defensively all season. And t- having one of the one of those guys out, or perhaps even when Laws came in, you had to shift Payne out to the right to cover for Elliot, that also uh, weakens that backline somewhat as well. Um, so yes, obviously we're going to miss him, um, but again, I don't think that's that one cog that makes the difference in this game.
1: Laws, uh, as you say, he doesn't tend to be. Uh, too far off a leg quality, but for mine he he struggles with his consistency, which is which I really problematic for as a defender. I find he he just has days where he's just not on. Is that just me kind of looking for reasons, or is this? Have you guys noticed that he's a bit hot and cold?
4: I mean, there's a reason he's not a bolted on starter, right? And it's one of those things where he's probably A League quality, but he's not upper end A League quality. I don't think. I don't think we've ever really seen that out of him. So, I mean, he's he's good enough to play at this level. When he has a good day, he can have a very good game. He can he can affect a result. But as with many people we see in the A League, there's a reason they're playing A League football, and it's it's because they have some inconsistencies in their game or some weaknesses. And I I think you're right with him. It's not necessarily clear and obviously obvious weaknesses it's just a, a lack of consistency that he brings
1: mm. um let's get on to the first goal i wanted to bring laws into this one because it, it uh, there's a couple of defenders here that really didn't cover themselves in glory uh back line set uh plays out on uh, our left um, realistically the only man who's getting the ball is mclaren Uh, Sutton manages to get on the wrong side of him, so can't affect anything. Uh, He chops inside Laws on his heels and just tries to stick a boot out, and it goes about as well as, you know, you probably could have imagined in a nightmare. Uh, McLaren's just too good to miss when he gets it, you know, half a leg free. Um, Did. (sighs) I, I genuinely don't know how to how we talk about this other than that's two mistakes and McLaren capitalising, showing he's actually as as good as we know he is.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think you've kind of nailed it there, I think. Um, Sutton doesn't realise the, the danger that, that McLaren has sort of drifted inside him and he gets caught on the wrong side, so he's not there to affect a, a tackle. He's kind of trying to get a toe in from behind. Um, and then, yeah, McLaren kind of does a little jink. And as you say, Laws kind of puts out a leg as he's sort of coming back the wrong direction, and maybe it's it's a little bit of the, you know, maybe a pitch. The pitch kind of comes into it a little bit of, of not being able to turn as as easy, um, and, and yeah, top, very tidy finish. You know, one of those ones where you know falls to a, a yeah a mid table team, and perhaps they don't score. It. You know, like he is he is deadly from the six yard or eight you know, penalty spot. Um, and it was a, a tidy finish. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. He, he does a really good job of creating some uncertainty
4: in the back line. He, he kind of, if you if you watch the wider angle shot and the build-up, he does a good job of um, flicking between Sutton and Laws, kind of making some uncertainty about whose man he actually is. And obviously a good backline would be communicating there and, and it, they would be keeping it very clear who's got him. But you can see Sutton's not sure if Laws is picking up. Laws still thinks Sutton has him. And he's just drifting back and forth between the two, you know, little half steps, little feints, and suddenly he's got a world of space there to finish in. Um, and so once the ball comes to him, uh, yeah, as you say, he's deadly from there. But I think I think he shows his experience in, in creating that for himself by his positioning between the two and the movements he's making in the build-up.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. Like, I don't think it's – I don't think the defending was outstanding by any means, but I, I don't think that it is entirely a case of, for example, Sutton not – Being aware enough, for example, I think that you're watching a high-class striker at work, just making it very difficult for the backline to even communicate fast enough. Like there is, having played quite a lot of fullback, there are times where you actually just can't even communicate quick enough to switch who's marking who, and that's when you concede. So I think that, you know, you do just see that McLaren is probably at the very top end of A-league quality.
1: Uh, you mentioned the uh, pitch it, it was very boggy. But one thing I kind of noticed with this goal especially was McLaren's footwork. He's just very good on his feet. He's keeping his steps small. He's not taking big lunges and throwing himself kind of off balance on the boggy stuff. That that goal was exactly what he did. I, mean, I can't remember how many little jinky half steps he did while he threw off Suts and Laws. But comparing it to say Laws, who was just kind of lurching with a leg out, it's kind of was a bit. It was telling.
2: I mean, I mean, that's the difference between having control of the ball and being able to lead the play as opposed to reacting, right? Like, you know, you got you when you've got the ball, you can control where you're stepping. When you when you're defending, you're reacting. So immediately, your you know your reactions are somewhat I don't know unplanned. You know, you kind of just have to react as quickly
1: as you can. Yes, but that adjustment technique, it's pretty basic, right? I mean, the, the A-League, we're renowned for having good athletes, not necessarily good technical players. And I think that's the difference with Jamie McLaren at this level. He's a good technical player as well as a reasonable athlete. Um, Law's great athlete, but his footwork was a little lacking. Anyway, let's not dwell too much on that because we've got other things to dwell on. Um, yeah, it's. I, I was, by this stage, I was having a bit of a problem with um, Jan Sass, and I had to leave the room because he kept giving the ball away. So I may have missed a couple of minutes in here uh, while I went and got myself a drink. Not one of Sass's best games with it came to retaining the ball that, that felt like it hurt us. I, I don't know whether you guys share the opinion, that opinion. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think what, perhaps what we learned from
2: this season is he's really good in the circumstances that suit him and a bit disappointed in the circumstances that don't. So I think he's good when he's getting the ball towards goal, a little bit of space that he can kind of start running at players, do a few tricks, cut inside, cause a bit of uncertainty. When he's coming short to receive the ball under a little bit of pressure, his touch is a bit tricky, not bit dicey sometimes. and I think. He really struggles in that that problem. And I think, you know, as a whole, when your team's not doing that great, he isn't getting the situations that he's good at as often as we would like.
1: Would you call it a case of, as uh, our associate news would say, rocks and diamonds? Or is that being a little unfair?
0: I
4: mean, I, I just think he's not a complete player. Um, and... Yeah, as I said before, I think there's just a reality of people you get in the A-League. And and so I think there probably is an element of that. But I think I think as well, kind of what Dale's hinting at there would be true of a lot of players who have done really well in the, in the league, right? I think of guys like Carlos Hernandez, who are probably one of the best players in the league, some would say. But you could play him out of a game when it wasn't his day. It really wasn't his day. You know, you could kick him out of games. You could force him into situations where he was unhappy. You could man mark him out of games. I'm not saying that was always done effectively, but there absolutely were days where, um, and lots of them were for the Phoenix, where <laughs> where he just, you know, was was taken out of a game by good tactics and bad situations for him. I think, I think Sass is kind of similar, except it's not necessarily you have to do anything tactical to get him out of a game. He sometimes puts himself in positions himself that are not his forte and gets himself in trouble and doesn't really know how to get out of it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that that partly reflects the fact that, you know, you talk about these players who aren't complete that have, for example, an Achilles heel. For Sass, I think it's possibly the worst Achilles heel that any attacking player could ever have, which is that he doesn't really check his shoulder very often, turns into trouble all the time, and is not very good with like playing high percentage yeah. football. Like He yeah. won't make an easy pass. He turns into trouble. He turns into traffic. Like It's all this stuff that when you're coaching like kids, you'd be like, oh my God, stop it's kind of stopped the whole session stuff. So it is interesting to me. He's clearly mercurial enough to have made it to the professional level whilst having these kind of fundamental errors. But my point is they are very fundamental. They are the basics. And that is going to kill you at the A-League level as well as anywhere else. There's no league in the world where he wouldn't have completely terrible games because of it.
1: You mentioned uh, Hernandez getting uh, marked out of games. Uh, Obviously, that's a kind of a tactic with um, Oscar Zavada. I want to bring you to the uh, penalty shout just before half time. I thought this was a very good shout. Zawada got body position, had possession, and I think it was Bose has just oh, what looked to be run through him. Um, how did everyone else see it?
3: I thought it was a nailed on pen, personally.
1: Yeah, the, the, the only thing that I can
2: think that mitigates this as if he's offside, but no one's mentioned it like in any of the commentary after. So I I I'm just yeah, I'm very surprised. It it just looked I mean we only saw like one picture in picture replay of it at the time. So it's it's hard to see. So based on that it looked pretty clear. Now maybe there's another you yeah, know, angle we haven't seen on the on the coverage.
3: If it's a non call because of an offside like the AR is set in the mic he's offside for example then that would surely just have been called as an offside and then the free kick yeah I don't
4: think you just play on there no it's an offside that stops a penalty surely you award the offside yeah Yeah.
3: and to me like there are no mitigating factors like momentum lack of intention that's irrelevant to me like it would have been one of those penalties where you're like oh that sucks for the defender but it's a penalty Um, and I just don't understand how like he's brought it down beautifully and then the defender has absolutely cluttered him and killed the chance dead. Like I just, I just don't understand what is a penalty if that, if not that situation. You know, like you don't actually often see people getting two foot bobsleds in the box. That is a more classic, like clumsy contact penalty. So, I,
1: I mean, as soon as as soon as Zavada brought it down, I thought that you can't not give it any contact where you bring a player in possession down. It's and it wasn't in in um insignificant contact either. It was it was a full body check. Yeah, I I, I, I.
3: I just would love to know the reasoning. You know, like I would yeah. love to know the reasoning because, as far as I can tell, it's completely just nailed on penalty. I don't think it's even marginal.
1: Um, someone did point out to me that I think it might have been Cam actually. That just said basically, it's not like we would
0: have scored it anyway. So
3: that's true.
0: Yeah, I can I can't, I can't say credit. That was definitely not me. Mm-hmm. But my sentiment may not have been far off that. Yeah, but we I, would I
3: have tried.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: It's
3: not the penalties you score, but the friends you make along the
1: way. And also, we need to practice.
4: I just think ones like this are frustrating when you see penalties softer than this given. And this one, as you say, just felt very clear cut. Uh, I don't... uh, It it always goes back to that consistency discussion. We've seen a, a shit replay of this, to be honest. I would love to see some better angles, but... The reality is you look at it and you go, that's a penalty. And I I I can't explain why it's not, because it looks penalty to me, and you compare it to other decisions across the league and it seems out of whack. Um, which I you know, as a as a as a fan, as a player, as a manager, whatever, I don't I don't know how you deal with that in terms of just dealing with the fact sometimes bad decisions are gonna go against you. I mean, that will happen, but we'd hope to be seeing less and less of it as we have professional referees and as we have VAR and all that stuff, you'd hope we're seeing less. And I I just don't think that's the case. I think we're either seeing about the same level of inconsistency inconsist- or maybe even more.
2: I, I, I think what we're seeing over the course of the season is the bar for overturning a foul by VAR has gone. It's slowly crept up. I think at the start of the season, it was kind of all over the place. You're getting yeah. very minor infractions being been turned over and I think as it's settled down or there's been some coaching or whatever going off in the refs or, or whatever that the, the the what is the threshold for t- overturning something has gone much much higher and I think basically if a if, if referee has seen the incident or think has seen the completed incident, I don't think there's any chance of things getting overturned now I think it's the stuff that he hasn't seen that is starting is really what they're trying to pick up now yeah and I I, I think you're probably right I
4: think that threshold does seem to have shifted, but I think my concern with it is probably that I think referees, and and I can't remember which game it was, it must, it must have been a game last round, it might have been a Brisbane Raw decision. Um, I, I can't remember the exact incident where it just it, you know, the referee had seen it And very much like, I think it's a goal kick, but we're just going to hold play there because I think there might have been a penalty. And you could tell that he thought it might have been a pen himself, but he he wasn't certain enough to award it. And I think the same threshold applied where they went, well, the on-field decision was no pen, so we're not going to overturn it, even though the video was reasonably conclusive that it probably should have been. And it was just one of those ones where it's like, I think if we are shifting that threshold, we need to be really careful that we're not doing it in those situations where the ref's gone, I'm not hundred percent. I'll err on the side of not giving it. Cause I think VAR AR will fix it if I'm totally wrong. When, if we're going to do that, it needs to almost be like what we have with ARs where we say, keep your flag down a bit, but then make a decision, you know, and we need some sort of mechanism the same for a referee where it could be like, mm, I think maybe it's a pen soft signal penalty, but I want to check it cause I'm not certain or something, you know? Um, but how you do that in football was very, very difficult. But I think we do have ones where referees are like 70% sure it's a pin, but they think there's the safety net there. And if we're moving the threshold on the safety net to a different level, you have to take that into account somehow.
3: Yeah, I mean, all that aside, I don't understand how any referee is only at 70% on this particular phase of play. But yeah. I also think that there is another, I tend to agree with that, and I think that there's another broader trend that this non-call encapsulates, which is the game kind of wrestling with how harsh the penalty rules can be for defenders and even though like as we've discussed on the laws of the game things like lack of intent momentum aren't mitigating factors i think that there is re- some evidence that referees are swayed by how harsh the call would be increasingly like i do think that that referee has mentally calculated and that he's basically falling backwards and he can't do anything about it and i think that's a wrong interpretation of the rules Again, because it's it's killed the chance dead, but I do also think it's a reaction to sometimes you see penalty calls where you really are like, Oh my god, what is the alternative?
1: Yeah, for me it's it's like as much as you say it's a it would be a harsh call on the defender who was overbalancing, it's a harsher call on the attacker who got nailed. So yeah. Okay. Good to know I'm not just completely going mad. Um, we'll roll on to the second half now. Um I was feeling a, a little bit under-enthusiastic under, under uh, enthusiastic about this um, until we get just that smattering of luck we kind of needed. Uh, Ugarkovich has had a, a, a lash at it from well outside the box and we've got a deflection that does uh, Tom Glover an absolute dishonor. Um, sometimes you've got to take those ones, right? bit of luck goes your way and suddenly that's the game turning around. You hope. It was actually quite well worked because that came
2: from our from our goal kick. You know, we played it mm. through the midfield, spread it wide, put across, and the ball, kind of fell to Jugakovic who who's, who obviously had his, his long distance. But it, we actually tore tore them apart in the manoeuvre in the, um, the lead-up. It was about the last time we saw it, but yeah.
1: Whoever laid it off for him did really well. It was backing up on the defender, just saw him coming and went, I'm just going to drop it in his path. I thought that was that's really nice. That that look up play it was your mate Jan Sass? Well, he probably was trying to bring it down then. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he does have nice touches at times, he, but as Helena. But mentioned. you refuse to give him credit for them. So no, no, it, it, he does some nice touches. It's just his passes were horrible that day. Uh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it lasted all of three minutes uh, until McLaren decided he did have his shooting boots with him. This is, uh, if we're going to give credit for a beautifully worked goal, this was pretty nice as well. Beautiful win to play and just a nice setup for a quality striker. Yeah, this didn't feel great.
2: Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's like um, after we scored, we just kind of rattled the beast didn't it and they were like, right, we're just going to kick up a couple of gears and you know, ro- roll over the top of you. But as you say, it was, it was quite well well worked. I mean, somewhat, I mean, it's the same thing of, of McLaren peeling off a youngish defender to uh, to a spot that was dangerous and, and Elliot not, not picking him up. Um, but I think the it was somewhat fortuitous because the ball that got cut back went through two sets of defenders' legs at, at the same time. So it's not like we left a big gaping, you know, um, channel for them to cut it back to we kind of had it covered we had kind of players there but it just went through, you know mixed to two of our defenders and and felt to, to mclaren
1: what, what yeah, you mentioned Elliot there i mean it's kind of one of those fundamentals of of um fullbacks as you know who's outside you're right we we had a ton of players back there that but they'd all gone central uh, it felt very panic stations it's like everyone protect the goal box and just forgot about McLaren, who was just drifting off.
2: Yeah, well, I think part of the problem in that one was it was a little bit on a a transition, and I think was it Sam Sutton? I think slipped over trying to turn, and Mm. he was the one who was on Tilio, meant to mark and Tilio, and so because of that, he was half on the ground trying to recover, and then Laws pushed over to try block the uh, block the cross, so we kind of lost that person, one of those person in the middle who may be able to cut it out in the meantime. So.
1: Yeah, I think roofs had gotten back as well, so I, I counted like four, but they were four players almost within the width of the um of the actual goal, uh, which is great if there's a, if we're playing from if they're shooting from right out in front. But uh, nonetheless, um, uh, Elliot did actually re- recover a bit of uh, um, acclaim, I guess. Uh, that beautiful goal line block that uh, had beaten all the defenders and and uh, sail and he's just slid in nicely. He's he's earned one back there, surely.
2: Yeah, I don't know how he's put it over the crossbar. Um, I think it was over the crossbar or the round, but it was one of those ones where you're running towards a goal and just hit the perfect place in the league to get it up and over the over the bar. And yeah, I mean, they had, I think Melbourne City had about four chances in the you know five or six minutes after we scored, and they just kind of really piled the pressure on, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, as much as there was that moment of um, good play, it was only three minutes later that Tilio, um has managed to um, crank back another one. Um, that was between Ugarkovic and Laws to score. That, Yeah, this was when you started feeling the floodgates open, I think, wasn't it? That had chances. We'd managed to clear and get away with it, but as soon as this one went in, it felt very much like the, that maybe the gates were about to open. Again,
2: this one is like, it's hard to like, watch it and go, what, how could we have defended it better? Because we got two people marking him in a reasonably good position and somehow he just clips it slightly you know, in a very small gap between the two and beyond Oli Sale, who, if anything, was probably you know, a metre too far forward so he, he didn't get a good, good dive in. But, mm. just like, a very low percentage shot that's gone in.
3: Yeah. I think that goes back to your clicking up a gear point, right? Like that essentially there's not much you can do against a team that sort of essentially glided into fifth gear in the space of three minutes and scored low percentage chances. And
4: yeah, I I think that's a tough one about this game. Like I, I like you, Dale watched a replay later, but, um, Having having read some of the Twitter commentary and some of the stuff in Fever Slack and various other things, you know, I, I thought these were bad goals and bad defending and we had been horrendous. But you watch the game and actually all of their goals are pretty good goals. Like you say, some of them are low percentage, but you don't watch them and go, Oh my god, we were absolutely horrid. I just don't I don't watch these goals and think we were dreadful. I think they scored some good goals and played some good football and we just didn't click up those gears at the right time, you know, we'd been in it for a long time and then they just put the foot on the throat.
3: I mean, it's tempting to say that they're the standard in the A league, right? Because they, they're always in and about premier level, but yep. equally, I think it's actually probably fairer to say that they just have the resources to continually be above the standard. And 100%. you saw that just so clearly.
4: Yeah. And I think it's, it's when you look at the depth that you really see that, you know, if, if you pair up their best 11 against other 11s in the league, it doesn't look that um, that different. I mean, it, you know, maybe slightly better man for man, but it's when you then throw the the bench in as well that you go, actually, those bench players mostly would be bolted on starters for other, other teams in the league. And that's probably where you see them able to kick up, you know, from the 60th minute on when that bench is having an impact.
1: Yeah, for me, I don't, I don't think it was the goal specifically that that made me irritable about the way we were playing. It was... Because uh, they were beautifully worked goals, and they defended well. It was just uh, our inability to keep easy possession, just gifting the ball away and turning over, and allowing like we didn't manage to progress the ball into their third. So that if they broke, um, they were they were broking, breaking breaking two thirds of the pitch. We were turning it over in midfield and inviting you know inviting them to attack us. That's what I found frustrating.
2: Yeah, I mean, they was. I think those
1: two goals, I think they were both transitions, but
2: we had got numbers back and were kind of okay, but they still managed to break us down, which is the frustrating bit. Like, there's sometimes you get done by a very good counter that kind of pulls you apart and you're know, like, fair play. The frustrating is that we had numbers back and somehow they still managed to thread a needle twice to, to do it.
3: Yeah, that. And I mean, also... I wouldn't underestimate the fact that Melbourne City, it's tempting to focus on how mercurially brilliant they are up top but they do apply kind of like a sort of chokehold defensive strategy that can work very effectively but it's quite hard to perceive. It kind of just looks like your team giving away possession in stupid areas which I don't think it always is. And for me like I felt really frustrated after this game which I initially just thought was because we were terrible because that's how I'm conditioned. But I think it was partly actually like you say Dale that You would get players back, you would set the back line, they would score anyway. This kind of like futility that the game felt like it had from about 60 minutes, you just watch them tear you apart thinking, I don't even understand how this has happened so quickly. That, to me, was very frustrating.
0: That's that's an adjective that sums up the Phoenix's uh, season most years. Futility.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the futility. (laughs) I,
1: I saw them getting numbers back, but I saw... Uh, I saw the panic there. That they were they were not trusting the players beside them. They were rushing in behind to to go and um, uh, cover, and they were just yeah. They, it just didn't feel like there was either communication or. Trust. I agree.
3: I agree again. But again, I think that that is partly what Melbourne City does to you. That that's just part of the matrix that you're pulled into.
1: Mm. If if they kept their line and kept their. Communications and everything, and Melbourne City still scored. I'd be like, "Yeah, well, that's just that could forget it." Um, yeah, it was just the 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 disarray that I found problematic. You know, disorganisation and defence. It's like the one one play where you kind of, if you can get organised, it does work most of the time. Um, uh, by this stage, uh, Ufi was ringing the changes. Um, uh, bringing Crive and Roofer off, which I thought was interesting, um, and bringing on uh, Costa and Lewis. Uh, Lewis, I wasn't too surprised about. I was very surprised at pulling Roofer off and Crive over Sass. Because, I, I, I mean, Crive, I thought, you know, at least he can play with his back to goal and can support, which you know, Yarnsas doesn't really do. And roofer I mean, there's a, you know, uh, we need someone to kind of make sure they're not going to rip us through the middle, um, which I don't know that's, you know, Elliot, uh, sorry, not Elliot, um, th- Lewis's forte, really, is it? Yeah, well, it's either roofer or Ugarkovic come
2: off if Lewis is coming on, really, isn't it? Yeah. So, um,
0: and you're yeah, chasing it by fun. that stage, too, right? Like, you're, ch- you're chasing the points because the points matter here. So... Yeah, it's, it's a decision, it's a substitution that I, you know, I'm i not questioning too greatly. Yugarkovic has scored. You want to trace the game, so you need someone more creative than Rufa. Makes sense.
1: Um, fair enough. Uh, we did see Costa actually um, get an opportunity. Um, as Dale mentioned earlier on, this is, this is one of these ones that we needed to score if you're going to get back in a game. One-on-one with the keeper, miles in front of the defence and to be fair Glover's done well he's done everything he needs to do but Costa hasn't hasn't slotted it we we haven't seen the best out of Costa this year have we
2: There's moments in games right like you know
1: you get they're cruising
2: at 3-1 and you get gifted a chance if you score that maybe they get a bit of wobbles you know they panic and go wow shit we just we just turned it round and you know don't take chances then and then Laws goes and tries to decapitate Naboot, um, literally ten seconds after I think, maybe fifteen. Like not even a minute. it's Just v- how quickly that game could have changed in a completely different, yeah. completely different manner.
1: Yeah. So uh, if you haven't seen that, this is um, horrible uh, from a human point of view. But uh, the ball's basically gone up that right-hand side. It's uh, it's bounced. Naboot's running onto it. Uh, Laws misjudges it somehow, and instead of going in with his head, he's just led with uh, at best his boot, if not his actual studs. And right, uh, Naboots copped it right in the face. I don't think anyone's arguing anything but red here, are they? No,
0: no, no. Def,
1: definitely I mean, a red card. There's no malice there. I think he's
4: misjudged trying to volley it. Volley probably wasn't the option, but clearly he'd misjudged it. And yeah it goes very, very bad for him very quickly. Um, it's read all day. But, yeah, he it was it was a bad decision. It just meant bad on him.
1: Yes. So
3: why did he have his boot? That, yes. You just come through them with your knee or something. I don't know. I just think that, like, yes, no malice, blah, blah, blah. But mm, at a certain point, you're doing something pretty dumb. Yeah. Having yeah. your boot that high.
0: My question is why was he putting the challenge, that challenge in in that part of the field at that time? I think there needs to be a quicker question there because there is, yes, it may have led to you know, a goal, fine, but there's no danger where that ball was or very little danger where that ball was in that game situation. Um, and I just, I, I question why he's made the decision to go for that particular challenge
3: there. Yeah, I mean okay. that one at the highest level.
0: Yeah, there's better options mate. That.
3: that, but then also if you do make that decision, don't stick your studs at like, head height like that's just really basic to me i think everyone's kind of preoccupied with the fact that it's such a horrible contact like being very clear that it's not malicious etc which i understand but it's dumb it's extremely reckless
1: yeah Yeah. to me it felt it it was that um that disarray that panic the fact that you've got your center back playing he's up that high out that wide and he's just going oh, no, this is going to go horribly bad for me. And he's not actually thinking about how he's going to make the challenge and rather than going and trying to header it or chest it or something, leading with the boot. I, I,
4: I just think the bounce deceives him. I think it it's that simple. I you think, think
1: it took a hop?
4: Uh, whether or not it did, I think he misjudges it clearly. I think he thinks this is at a height where it's not a Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, and we can see clearly the better option was to nod this out. But I think he genuinely believes this is a height he can volley.
3: But you don't get taught to volley in defending that way. You know?
4: No, I'm not saying that at all.
3: Yeah, I just it's think it's ridiculous. It's really a
4: bad mistake, but I think that's how he gets caught in such an awkward position is he misjudges it and then has to overstretch. And that's <laughs> how he ends up with his leg in that position. And it's stupid and it all comes back to his own decision. But I think that's all that happened here is he tried to volley it and it totally misjudged where the ball was going to be. And everything just flows from there.
2: I, I, I think perhaps because we just had a chance, and the game is kind of stretched, and they're disorganised. His view was, let's get the ball back in there, and I think that's why he's gone to volley it. And I think the ball's kind of skipped off a, a skinny surface. It's gone past him before he's got his foot up that high. His foot's then gone up, and then the boots kind of run through and into it. So, just I can see why he was trying to hoist it back in. Um, but if he, yeah, just just misread the pace of the, the pitch and and after that was basically out of his control.
3: Yeah I mean we can all agree that the pitch was terrible. So
1: it was shit house. It was
3: like I would have been complaining playing Sunday League on that. So
1: Um someone was saying there was something like two A League games, two games of rugby and a game of rugby league on it was Just a joke. Like... Yeah it was
4: it was something like a rugby doubleheader and a game of league and the, on the, like, Thursday, Friday, and then, yeah, it was just, yeah. it's like, who was doing the scheduling that thought yeah. that would hold up and football would be acceptable to play as the last game? Like, that's just insane. Well, look, the last Wait, two games,
2: I think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
3: Wouldn't even be acceptable for a rugby game that quality, you know, like, no grip on the pitch. Like, I just, it's just, no groundskeeper in the world was fixing that.
4: No, but, but it's down to the scheduling. Like, your stadium shouldn't be accepting all those bookings yeah that, that should be red flagged and and we see it all the time with um with sky stadium right we we get moved off because we know the pitch isn't going to be up to up to scratch by the times they have to play and you know we we often don't like the reasons you know it's a concert or whatever but the stadium just says no and it obviously puts the club in a bind but that's the right decision for the stadium to make and and someone should be having a word to that stadium saying that's not good enough you know if if you've got that many bookings you can't take more
1: and that's how you end up going to the uh, ring of mud (laughs) well it's like um it's often they're talking about oh
2: perhaps having a a magic round next year where all the games are at one venue i was like which australian venue is going to be able to host six a league games in a row like over the course of three days if they can't handle six in in a week
3: also can they not call it a magic round like oh my god
0: I'm, I'm a huge fan for all the games. You know, the, the previous year where all the all the teams played in one day on the 2nd of January and uh, started in Wellington at like 2 o'clock New Zealand time and finished at Perth at midnight New Zealand time and just staggered all the games. That's what they should be doing rather than playing everything at one bench.
4: Yeah, and, and you could get away with doing something because they do have choice for stadiums, right? Like Melbourne has other options. You're not limited to only one ground, but it still is a pretty crazy idea. Um, even if you were to say we're going to play all the games in Melbourne for some reason, right? But Or City.
0: If they decided to play all the games in Melbourne, if they did decide to play an entire round in Melbourne, I would probably go.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And you've got enough stadiums to do it, but doing them all at one actual venue is insane. And anyone can see that.
1: I, I don't know what to say after that. It was diabolical. Uh, I'm surprised, actually, the refs kind of waved it on. I. I like, at what point is there a kind of duty of care? Because it's something I noticed with uh, Laws. He slipped over like twice in the first 10 minutes just when he was running. Um, yeah, um, r- r- apparently Rado said in his post-match he was concerned about the prospect
2: of, of injury. But then Atale was asked the same thing. It was like, no, nah, no problems. Both teams had the same, same, same pitch.
1: But surely he's got no right to complain about anything because otherwise he looks like an absolute tool. After I mean, that.
3: to be honest, it's going to be sound quite dire and grim, but if that were a women's game, you would have seen an ACL injury on that pitch. Like, I feel I can say that with almost complete certainty. Like, they're just, they're, it's lucky that the men, for reasons of biomechanics, sports science, conditioning, et cetera, like, they all got through that relatively injury-free in terms of non-contact injuries. But I think if you'd had an A-league women's game on that pitch and there had right. been an ACL...
1: I can tell you that statistically women, um, uh, ACL injuries are more prevalent in female athletes than male. So It's good mans- mansplaining there, uh, Frosty, because I think basically uh, Elaine
2: of alluded to that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it might well be, but spot the person that actually studied it. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs>
3: the person that has six teammates out of season.
1: Yeah. Uh, there was a final goal in this one. Uh, Tilio uh, tapping home. Um, yeah, this was another nice goal, but a bit of panic at the disco at the back.
2: Yeah, I think by that stage, um, Nico Boxall was on, and it was his player. Kind of ran past him at the back post. Um, um, I'm, I'm loath to judge people when you know there's a, they're
1: playing. Yeah, a man down, but he he was there. There was only one. Yeah, yeah. She lost
3: the will to live at this point and turned it
1: off, so I can't comment. (laughs) Um, My seven-year-old son, who sings songs about players he's never seen, he loves football that much, he had already given up by this stage. Just, he said, I've had enough. I'm going to bed. So, yeah. It was, yeah. It's perfectly fine to give up after that, I think. Van Hadam and Pennington came on. Uh, Ugarkovic and Zavada came off. I was hoping they were going to sub Zawada uh, off well before this. I just wanted him put in cotton wool. Um, <laughs> it just makes more sense. Yeah. Once that game's gone, we need him for the other games, right? We've yeah. got his replacement as Van Haddam and Van haddam is certainly not showing what Zawada's showing.
0: I still consider I'm this game to be, a, uh, to be a bit of a uh, bonus free hit, right? Because the gap that we had to seven... If we get something out of this game, I think it's a, it's a bonus. Um, we've got Brisbane and um, MacArthur and Wanderers coming up. And for those games, we desperately need Zawada to be firing and scoring because th- those those points are the ones that will see us into the semis, guaranteed. And, and if we're very lucky, get us a home game. So I, I would have probably have taken him off a little earlier. So I propose something to you. If we played
2: this game a hundred times, how many times do you think we'll get a point out of it?
3: If we got monkeys in a room with typewriters and played this game a hundred times.
1: If we got monkeys with typewriters on the field, <laughs> could they club enough of them to death to, for us it's to stand not, a chance? Jesus, fuck that got done. <laughs> um, hang on, hang on. Because we got Zawada's miss in the first minute.
2: We've got a penalty shout not given. We've got Costas miss. And if he scores that, Laws doesn't get sent off. Is there, a, is there a, a few instances where we, we get a draw out of this game if we, if we played it a few times?
1: And there is definitely a universe, if you believe in the multiverse theory, that uh, we won this three, 3 1. But, yeah.
3: I mean, if you believe in the multiverse theory, there's a universe where we win this like 99 0. I mean, yeah, are <laughs> infinite universes. But Let, let's know. not
1: be silly here, Helena. Let's not be silly
3: well, we're playing the game a hundred times. Apparently, I don't see why ninety-nine nil is beyond the realms of possibility.
1: But really, you're not watching all of it.
4: I mean, I think I think the question Dale's asking is based on the performance we put out there. Were we unlucky not to come away with anything? The answer is probably yes. I mean, yes, a four-one scoreline flatters them a lot. I think easily this same game with a couple different outcomes, and this is a two-all draw. I think, yes, I think that's well within the realms of possibility. It didn't happen, though, but I do think 4-1 probably flatters them a bit. We all agree, good goals, but low percentage goals. We had some really high percentage chances and balls them up. So we we could easily have been in this, but they're top of the table for a reason. And I, I don't think if we were banking on getting points here, we were silly. You know, they were they were if you get lucky points, not not the ones you need to be counting on. The other games that we've got to play are the ones you need to target.
3: I mean that is the reality of a quality gap, right? Like when you have the resource and balance that they have, they to beat them, you are going to need luck to go your way. And it just didn't. And then we were bad. <laughs> <laughs> also.
1: Yes, well summarized. Um, I think we should probably park that one there because uh, I'm getting sad again. Uh, let, let's um. Switch over to the uh, A League Women's team. Obviously, with the season up, uh, it's time to discuss our best and fairest. Um, are we all settled in? Do we have our choices made? Um, let's start at the very top. Best player. Let's go round and discuss. Uh, who wants to go first?
4: But I'll I'll go first because I think I think this for me. Two ways to approach this and two names depending on how you approach it, right? Because I think there's one player for for mine who without this player we basically don't have a season. We wouldn't have any goal output. We we, you know, needed them defensively as well. And I think I think if you consider them in the context of this season, they are the only reason we were competitive in a lot of games. But do I think they're the best player on the pitch? Probably not. But I do think their contribution to the team was probably the most important. So I think I think best player could be interpreted a couple different ways. So I, I'll be interested to hear what you guys think. But but for me, based on how I read that, and and putting to side whether or not I think they're the best player, I think I think Foster's the answer here. I think without her, the season would be a dire pit of despair. Um, it still wasn't a great season, but for mine she's the only reason we we kind of get anything out of a quite a few of these games
0: um yeah i i 100% agree with that um again i have two two ways that i can i can look at this and you've probably articulated a bit that better than i can um my single point would be there's barely a goal we scored where she didn't take part in some way Absolutely. she's got I think she assisted at least half our goals, possibly more. Um, but all the ones that came from the corners are assisted by her, every single one, and that's, and that's basically half our goals. So, and then, yeah, the the balls that she's putting in, the defensive work she's doing, there's a reason why she's been called into the ferns, right? Um, not just fine to the season, um, but, yeah, 100%. percent i viewing it as she's the reason why we score goals. She has the, literally there has to be the player of the season by far.
1: Helena, you have opinions. Tell oh, us.
3: I've never had a single opinion in my life. Yeah. Well, obviously it, we don't have right. Like a Courtney vine where she is the best player on the pitch and she has the statistical output to prove it, right? Like she scores goals. She assists or whatever. We don't have that. So I agree with your bifurcated structure of, looking at it two ways, Dave. But for me, when she was on, Betsy Hassett was clearly a class above. There were some games where she just switched something on and just ran the show and was untouchable and was everywhere. Don't know how many kilometers she would have clocked up. And I think in those moments you saw the Hassett that played in the Scandinavian leagues that you don't get to see for the ferns very often, and that was very cool to see. But in terms of like materially impacting the season, I think you have Foster in that category, and then you also have Brie Edwards in that category. Um, if your metric is avoiding the dire pit of despair, avoiding that, then I think yes, you need Foster for scoring, but you actually need Brie Edwards arguably more because she kept us alive and stemmed the bleeding in almost every single game.
0: That's my second was my second option is Bree Edwards for just that reason. Um, yeah. Dale?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll preference all my answers insane. say I've probably only seen about half, half the games or so. And half the time he uh, turned
3: up is when it went south.
2: <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. Were you there for Canberra? I remember. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I, I think our season seemed to change once Hassett moved to more attacking where she had a lot more freedom to roam and and pull some strings i was actually reading the the niche cache had a article suggesting it made a very good case that uh was could well easily be a player the season because i think she was missing the first four or five games i think of the season and that's when we were the worst and and after that we started getting more competitive and and um, it may be one of those players that kind of just bubbles along in the background. You don't notice her as much. Bit of like a maybe like a Tim Brown. Yeah, you know, everyone used to call him the Invisible Man. But uh, as soon as he left, I midfield mean, used to fall apart. Um, so it may be one of those players in, in that kind of mould where you just don't notice it as much because it's not the at the pointy end at either so- at other uh, side, but just does that that grunt work that that, that doesn't get noticed as much.
1: Yeah, I, I've got to go. I'm going strictly Foster. I uh, I thought she was really good defensively, um, especially for someone stepping into a professional league. Her delivery was really good, sure. She aided in the these, um, set piece. But it was her consistency, I think, for me. Uh, Hassett, we saw that she could be amazing, but she could also be inconsistent. And I think that, that was that was why I would kind of say... There was one mark against her. and as you say Wisniewski was really consistent just just didn't quite manage to um, affect the balance of the game her work rate was great her effort was great her quality was good but just to you know just to swing the tide I guess
3: I mean can I jump in on that actually because I do think that it might be slightly positional because I think for a cdm <laughs> they don't tend to kind of be making like earth shattering contributions to games because that is their job is to kind of just fade into the wallpaper, be the metronome, make the tackles. So I think that Grace was had a very good season in that respect. But the other thing I would say to your point is that Michaela Foster, I think might be one of the most complete players we've ever created. And I know that that's a very big call, but she is totally two-footed. She has excellent set-piece delivery. She reads the game well. She's fast. She can manage someone as quick and as technical as Courtney Vine, and she herself is very technical. She can play further up the pitch. She can play striker. She can play cam. I actually think that despite the fact she's 24 and is only really now becoming a professional footballer, she is quietly becoming something quite remarkable.
0: Yep, that's a fair statement. The fact that she is so two-footed. I don't know very many players full stop that can deliver a corner like her off either foot. And she can deliver it so well every single time.
3: And even like, not even just dead ball. I haven't seen a player who is so two-footed in every situation. And it is quite, like you say, you can't think of many players in any league in the world. And I just think that she's under the radar. She kind of disappeared after captaining the 20s and under the radar is just, is turning into something quite special.
1: The only player I've seen do that sort of thing was Wendy Henderson, and
0: Yeah, she was, it's she a was pretty massive name football. in New Zealand football. Yeah, she was pretty tidy.
1: Um, let's get on to most improved. This is probably going to be an interesting one. Uh, I won't put Dave on the on the spot first. Dale, I'm going to put you. Who was your most improved? Oh, I think it's
2: Brie Edwards. Yeah, I think from where she was at the start of the season to where she is at the end, didn't, didn't look out of place whatsoever. And she started for any other AD team. I don't think you'd be saying, shit, we're in here, here team. Uh, we've got a dodgy keeper in the, at the back. So, um, I think her, I think maybe one other, maybe Vandermeer, like I, I don't recall her being much of a standout last year, but you know, she was the, you know, starting centre back by the end of the season, pushed Mackenzie Barry out, out, um, fullback. So maybe, maybe her as a, as a roughie, but I think Edwards is, is clear ahead of everyone else.
0: Who wants to go next? 100% agree with that. I don't think there's anyone else who gets close to Brian Edwards at all.
4: I think the only other person who you put in the mix, because I, I agree Bree would be my pick, but I think you could put Hassett in there, but that was largely a tactical change, but we did see that clearly impact. Um, in terms of how much she was able to affect the games, um, so I think there was a clear improvement there. But it wasn't it wasn't due to her effort; it was due to due to a tactical change around her that that just suited her better, um, and and probably puts her in the mix for that category. But I think it, for me, yeah, Brie.
1: I found Brie Edwards consistent really from the get go. So I I didn't have her as my most improved. Um, I actually had Vandermeer. Um, because I thought Brie was, yeah, her standard was good from the get-go and got better. Uh, so, yeah, I was looking at the gap between quality. Um, have you got anything else to add, Helena? You have been strangely quiet on this one.
3: Yeah, it's Bree, but I'm going to add into the mix that Millie, just because she's a bit of a wunderkind, we shouldn't forget that she very rapidly went from playing for Mags and Auckland United, Albert Grammar School, for those who aren't Aucklanders, Um and Auckland United to a professional level and looking like she'd been there for years. Very rapid trajectory, which I think warrants some mention in this yeah, category.
1: Absolutely. Yep, that is very true. Let's roll on to uh, goal of the year. We're going to start with the only striker on the pod. And that's you, Elena, if you didn't guess. Hey, hey, steady on. I said striker. Yeah.
0: yeah.
3: I think there are some people who will listen to this and think, mm, what? Ladies on a
0: striker. I'm um, to so, point out. I, I definitely was a striker. I was just a really shit, fat, slow one. Hey, who scored this season already?
2: Huh? Who scored this yeah. season already? I, I don't play anymore. Thank you. I,
3: I scored a hat trick, so. <laughs> one up here on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: so shut down. Sit down, little man, and let the uh, actual striker talk. <laughs> let the adults talk, mate.
3: Anyway, now that we've got that out of the way, uh, for me. As much as I love a little, I love the moments when Millie Clegg scored. For me, that great Grace Wisniewski goal and the dying moments of that game, where we don't even we've talked about it, we don't even know how she controlled that finish. We don't know how her hamstrings sustained that level of stretch. That to me sums up the player that Grace is. I think she deserved it after two very tough seasons. Um, I think that it sums up. The Phoenix women, what is so likable about them, despite some frustrating results, this sort of never say die, back against the wall mentality that they have. Like for me, for a whole bunch of reasons, not just the football, I think that's the goal for me.
1: Uh, Dale, you've scored a goal this season and have aspirations. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't as
2: good as the one I'm about to describe, unfortunately. But um, I think mine is is it Betsy Hassett scoring? I think was it the third or fourth goal against Canberra, where I'm gonna. Say it was maybe Gomez who did the, the no look pass. Is it Gomez? I f- yeah. And it was just this well worked goal. And it's just the swag that came out of the team at that point where they hadn't won and then they're absolutely spattering this team to the point where they could just put in a no look pass to, um, to f- thread through to Hassett, who buried it past the keeper.
3: Yeah, the mercy killer pass, right? Like, Yeah. That was, yeah. I agree with that one too. That was also up there for me.
0: Cam, relive those glory days. I was going to say, agree with later and say that the grace was Niski goal because that was quite special. But as she's already mentioned it, I think there's only two others I would consider um, Michaela Foster's um, against Brisbane. The free kick. F- yeah, the free kick from our own half, basically. And. Right. Um, also, I really, re- as, a, as a number nine, I really liked Ava Pritchard's goal against Canberra, which was the fourth, which was that work down the, the left wing, the cross, and she's nipped in and got a, got a foot to it, and it's beaten the defender and uh, keeper at the near post. I really liked that goal, just because it's a typical nine, very nice nine goal. So, yeah, it was, it was decent. I'd probably say, though, that Grace Wisniewski goal is something class.
3: The best thing about the Michaela Foster free kick was the way she just sort of turned around. Like the pure, yes. I do this every yes. week energy. Like, I love It's her first professional goal, and she hit a 45 yard free kick, and she literally was like, Yep, that is what I do. And I just, I love that.
1: That's the appropriate way for a fullback when they score a wonder goal to just go, Yeah.
3: Yeah, adjust the shin guards, head back to halfway.
1: You guys are just mucking around up there. Have we covered everyone on best goal? Is that you, Dave? Uh,
4: I mean, yeah, I think they've mentioned the two I would have. Thought, and, and I probably would have said for me, between the Wisniewski goal and the, and the foster one, I would have chosen the free kick. I think that's my my goal of the season.
1: Yeah, I am a massive fan of the left-footed free kick. Uh, that is something that you've got to love. Uh, the one that I will mention, though, is that um, I think it was Millie Clegg's first where she picked the ball up on the left side of the box just ran straight at the defender. And as soon as she hit that, I'm like, oh, hello.
3: That's her second.
0: Oh, is her first, her second?
3: Though, also an indicator of her quality, completely perfectly controlled volley from a second phase off a corner. Mm.
0: She doesn't score yeah. shit goals, eh? Nope. Her, her goals were really nicely taken, excellent finishes, all four of them. Mm.
1: Yeah, that that goal where she ran at the defender and had the backpedaling, that, that's when yeah. you know someone's…
3: Touch, touch, cut, shoot, in. Yeah.
1: Uh, So next up, we have the player who we were surprisingly impressed by. Uh, Dale, have you gone first in one of these? Uh,
2: Yeah, I'm happy to go. And this is going to show my ignorance, but I remember at the start of the season, first first team sheet they put out, and this unknown to me, Michaela Foster sitting at left back, and I was like, who is this person? She's 24. She hasn't done any, as far as I can tell, she hasn't done anything. And then boom, <laughs> the, the, the rest of the season is done.
3: Jesus, Dale.
2: Good on you for outing yourself,
1: mate. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to take that, but I, mean, I feel like all my work you,
3: has been for nothing.
1: Oh, uh, well, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually going to back Dale up here because as much as like I knew Michaela Foster had pedigree, I was not expecting to someone to come up and be their first A League season, be the provider from the team from fullback. Yeah, that's fair. That's so, a boom. And, you know. and it is signed as a scholarship player as well.
3: Yeah, that that was that was what surprised me about it though, to be fair. I would have just signed it, but anyway, some of us have been paying attention for a long time.
4: I mean I feel like you've got to go next with the shade you're throwing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was surprised by Marisa Vandermeer. I thought she had stalled after the Under-17 World Cup. I thought that Melbourne City wasn't the best move for her. And I was worried about what lack of consistent game time would do to her ability to read the game, which was her selling point as an Under-17. But she quietly went about her work, was very solid, and improved a lot over the season. So, very good signing.
0: Cameron, what about you? Yeah, I I don't think there's too many... Maybe maybe a, a Brie, you say, but that's not from how she was at the start of the season, that's how she's progressed throughout the season. Um but yeah, I think Michaela Foster's actually quite a good shout. What about you, Dave?
4: Uh I mean I could echo a lot of those thoughts, but let let's say Clegg. Um Oh because, yeah, fuck Millie you know, Clegg. I, actually
0: she that's your winner, right? Millie Clegg, gotta be.
4: Yeah, for me I you know, she's coming out of a level, as you say, playing playing essentially high school. Up to a professional level, and and showing she not only can play well at that level, but to be honest, is one of the best on the park at that level. Um, I yeah, the the rise there for me is definitely a surprise for um, someone essentially out of left field for those of us who aren't around the Auckland football scene, right? So yeah, I
3: mean that's something I would say like it something that has surprised me is that I think the NRFL is better than I thought it was. Like I'm pretty disparaging of the Northern League up here but that's where Foster had been playing that is where Clegg had been playing and they both came out of it looking pretty sharp
0: I think the other thing is that um, we don't see anything of the Northern League down here at all so some of these players which are coming out who you know very very well because you play against them on a regular basis we don't know Mickey
3: Foster did captain the under-20s though
0: to be fair yeah, yeah, but again, it's, yeah. that's a name in a tournament that we don't necessarily see a lot of all the time. They don't play down here. We don't see them down here. So it's a, it's one thing if they're down here and we get to go and watch them play. It's another thing when you know it's on the TV in the middle of the night in a World Cup, which we might not get to get up and watch.
2: If if you take it on a per minutes played, I would say Emma Main as well as one in there. Oh it's, yeah, she barely played any minutes and
1: it's a, had two assists, maybe I think. Yeah, those passes. Mwah.
3: Yeah, she really yeah. just turned up and said, "Like, watch yeah. this." <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and I get
4: to I get to play the the local knowledge card because yeah, she's she's been around the women's scene down here for a while. has been one of the absolute standouts. Um, you know she she won the Kate Shepherd Cup for for United. Yeah. um, and was the the player of the the final. I can't remember what the name of that cup is. That the is that the Maya Jackman Trophy winner? I think I think it's that one. Yes. Um, and you know, so she. If you've been followed, following Wellington football, she wouldn't have come as a surprise. I think for me, the only surprise about her is they signed her so late in the season. Um, I, I, if I had been in charge of signings, would have signed her much earlier because the quality is absolutely there. But well,
3: she transcends the Wellington thing. Like we all know about her up here. But I guess I wasn't that surprised about them not signing for a while because I just wasn't sure how the whole America thing had happened had gone which is always a massive variable, right? Like I think we just read this week from from Bree that she went to the States and it was bad and it killed the love of the game and that is just unfortunately such a common story. So I guess yeah. whenever I know that someone's been over at some kind of slightly random school and then they sort of disappear for a bit, I'm always like,
4: uh.
1: Yeah. Uh, we're getting into the uh, less positive notes here. Player who we were most disappointed by. Uh, I'm going to go first on this because I'm captain negative. Um, It's Paige Satchel. I wanted her to lead this line. I wanted her to score goals. I wanted her to, to show all these young players, you know, what being a professional was and how to do it. And she might have done it off the park, but didn't see it on the park.
4: I mean, I have an incredibly cop-out answer here of saying that, you know, in terms of players who I thought to have a real impact this season and be a real leader and and then we just saw nothing from, Lily.
0: She's the player I'm most disappointed for, not the player I'm most disappointed in, because that's, you know, the injury she had is obviously nasty and the rehab has taken quite a long time. If she's had a good season this year, she's looking at a possible World Cup. 100% she's she's certainly in with a shout on the top five keepers and you know barring injuries and stuff she gets a, she gets a shot so it's not i'm not disappointed in her i'm disappointed for her
4: i mean that the the category is phrased disappointed by not disappointed in so i'm i'm claiming it <laughs> <laughs> i i am not disappointed in lily in any way shape or form
3: it's been a bit the story of you know from when she's been up in Auckland post US again, like she has struggled with injuries a lot, and it was nice to see her injury free from Perth Glory into the Phoenix. So it's disappointing to see that rear its head again.
0: Yeah, see for me, there's only there's only really one player um who I was I was expecting more from and didn't deliver, and that was Emma Ralston. I know how. Much quality she has, uh, having watched her since she was uh, in her teens playing for Waterside. Um, I think she's an outstanding footballer, but Emma Ralston on form could really change that front line and be the nine that we need. And obviously, that didn't happen this year.
3: Yeah, kind of two bolted on fans, right? I mean, I, I've spoken so often about. Paige and kind of just being disappointed in her trajectories. I want to be very careful because I I am so cautious about just like nailing players because I know how hard they work but equally I just know that Paige has such potential because you can't teach speed and you can't really defend speed like she's got. But just for years we've been saying end product, end product decision making and for years it's just not come it hasn't happened and like I've said before I think she she has good professional pedigree. She went to FC Sand in the Frauen bundesliga So I'm just not sure what has to happen. I thought that the next could be the moment she found it because of that step down. Yeah. To, but it just hasn't been. And I know how hard Paige works. And I know how hard it would have been to come back from that surgery she had with some, like, tachycardia issues, et cetera, et cetera. But I just – at some point, Rob is going to meet the road, and she just needs to add that to a game, or it's just going to be – slow glide out i think
4: yeah i think i think for her it's a tough one right because if you as you say with that step down you would expect her to excel at this level and we really didn't see that so if at an a-league level she's still struggling what what is next you know um she's got to find form at this level or as you say it's it's kind of only downhill and there's you know this is the lowest level of professional you can really get
3: the thing that troubles me is it's I'm not even sure that finding form is quite the right phrase. I, I think it's there are massive gaps in her game that just are not getting filled that are very we talked about this with Jan Sass – That are not getting filled that are so fundamental. Like the ability to make a good cutback and the ability to score in a one on one. If you're a winger whose calling card is your pace, those are things that you can't really credibly not have in your game at a certain point. So yeah. Uh, again, I don't. I really don't like slamming players, but I at a certain point I think I'm a bit like in this headspace because of the ferns at the moment, <laughs> where it's just like, okay, I've been positive for years, mm. but please show me something.
1: Some sometimes you just got to throw hands. Yeah. It, for me, it was Emma
2: Ralston. Um, I think just injuries, and I, I just struggled to think what impact she had at any part of her playing time. Like, except the red she, card.
0: It's well, <laughs> a highlight, it man. That's a highlight of the season. <laughs> that was that was brilliant. I loved that moment. <laughs>
2: I mean, she was she was at our number nine at our best, um, in our best part of the season, and didn't score or create anything for herself. So, and just couple that with the injury, just yeah, just a just disappointing season. And you look at her and you go, would you resign her next year? And I don't think you would. And um, I mean, that's probably going to be the end of her professional career.
3: Yeah, it's just so those injuries that she's had throughout her career. It's just so hard to manage in a professional environment. Like, it's hard to spend money on a player that you don't know you're going to get any time out of.
1: Um, let's go on to uh, I. I'm hoping it's going to be a slightly more comedic or upbeat take. Um the peak a-league women's moment uh we know that the a-league is certainly renowned for some interesting ones give us your best shot who wants to go first helena you've got a smile on your face
2: it's just the red card
3: for me i'm just so like i'm a, emma rolson's red card i just you, you know no it wasn't even that it was the instagram shade from the other the the it literally went on for like three weeks it went on for so much longer than anyone would ever think was funny like and then it was like on twitter and she was replying to random phoenix fans on twitter and it was i just felt that was so a-league for me and she like got lisa devanna who like loves shade she got her in on it like tagging her in instagram stories and i just watched that happen for like three straight weeks and at the time, I thought it was just two people being stupid. But by the end of that month, I was like, this is hilarious. And this is classic A-League.
0: So I, think, I guess we're avoiding um, things like games playing when they shouldn't be because of the heat. Because that's classic. That is A- classic, that's classic A-League. A-League. Particularly classic A-League women, you're right. Um, and beyond that, it is the red card. The red card and the ensuing story, or story wrong word, saga, that came around it is, is 100% that highlight moment of the, uh, of the season.
3: Especially because she was the aggressor, right? Like, didn't she do the stupid thing first?
0: Yeah, she, she like, Ralston's was a foul. There's no doubt about it. But the reaction from the Perth player is what caused them. And then the reaction that followed from Emma yeah, was, was what caused all of that to happen.
3: Red cards are bad, kids.
2: And just so unexpected in
0: the women's game. The means, like You yeah. can't
2: expect this kind of, like, you know, testosterone-fueled, like...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Idiocy? Yep. Yeah. You
2: yeah, see it's about every weekend in the A League. In the women's game, it just seems like it's not really a kind of a thing, right? You get fouled. Men in long go on socks, is,
0: as Helena would have referred Yeah, but is. it was
3: beyond that. What you don't see in the women's game is like the pure Zlatan energy of like posting through it thereafter. <laughs> like, I just. It was so exciting for me. We never get that stuff in the women's game. Everyone's always really nice and like, yeah, I completely take ownership of that. That wasn't my best. Oh, shut up. Post something insane and arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> I just, the unhinged energy, immaculate. No media training, just vibes.
1: <laughs> Dave?
4: Um, I mean, yeah, you. It, that had to be top contender um, for sure. So, I mean, the only the only other kind of honourable mention I want to throw out there is there was a brief moment where our leading goal scorer was uh, Mickey Robertson from Corners, <laughs> which I just love. Eventually one got taken away and, and turned to an own goal, but I just love that for a brief moment... The shortest player in the world was our leading goalscorer scorer with two from corners, and and I think that's pretty that's pretty a league.
2: What about her having to stand on a on a very big phone book for? an interview? <laughs> Yeah, yes. one of my
0: yeah. photos of the season I got man was it her was standing on that It was brilliant. Was a yeah. Actually, Mickey Robertson in, in general was quite good because I think she said. Uh, she at one point she got called a torpedo nugget as one of, by one of the um, commentators yeah. on a game. I'm like, we can make a t-shirt out of that if they sign her for next season. Torpedo nugget might be a good fien- a good fever shirt.
3: Yeah, that's another bad, like crazy commentary is another PK league woman thing. And then if we look a bit wider than the Phoenix, there's stuff like the fourth official getting things wrong and the team being docked points for oh, it. Like
4: amazing stuff.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
3: and like the thing is, like the thing that. Is like you don't miss out on peak A League just because it's the A League women.
2: I'll just throw one more, and it's a bit of a collective of certain parts of the media um, describing Michaela Foster as son uh, daughter of Albert's oh, coach Ian Foster at just about every chance they get.
0: You know, I didn't, I didn't even know they were related until she'd already been playing, like, Christmas. I think I found out that they were actually related. I couldn't tell you what Ian Foster looks like. i got no idea. I don't follow rugby. I couldn't give a shit. And that started to really grind on me that they were just – she's building her own career. She's worthy of her own name. Let's do her the respect of you. It is it.
3: literally a different sport. You know, it's one thing, like, when it's, like, they're two hockey playing people or whatever but it's just so insane it's completely disparate environments and it's also at this point shouldn't media be aware of overtly sexist things just as like an economic prerogative like just don't be the sexist trope but no we struggle on
0: yeah it became very very Um, frustrating by the end of the the, season uh...
1: Mitchell, who plays for the Black Caps, has a, has similar issues with the, his nicknames as well. So he's um
0: son of his nicknames. Oh, has yeah. he got a famous? He uh,
1: ironically was the number eight yeah. uh, that played in the same team as Ian Foster. So there you go. But but that for me, um, the A League. I can't remember which game it was, but the the goal scramble after a corner. Where the ball just dropped in, and there was just a sea of players, and no one hit it. The ball just kind of stayed there, and it just wobbled around. It just I can't get it out of my head, and it, it just hurts when I mean, you just like just kick it in. I don't care how. I think you're describing about fifty percent of our goals, Frosty. I, I, I know <laughs> that's why it was quite the A League moment.
3: That's. Callum is a Callum, Matt's second in charge to I see oh, the assistant yeah. coach. When he, like, just complete shithouse energy, like, just kicked the ball away. And the Australian commentators lost their minds. I also enjoyed that. You just don't do that. It's just not the way.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. You yeah, do it in men's football all the time.
3: <laughs> I was like, that is that is definitely the way.
0: So 100% this is what, the way.
3: are you watching? <laughs>
0: yeah. There, there is nothing more
1: fulfilling than smashing the ball out of the park. The, the only up on that is when you're playing away at Melrose Park and you're using the other team's ball
0: and you boot it into the Lions. No, you boot it into the the baboons. The baboons is the one.
3: At Beecroft you aim for the motorway. You just aim for the northern motorway. I'm glad to see that there.
1: this is this universal trope. Just like, get rid of their ball and stick it somewhere, they're never getting it back. Uh, that was the A League uh, women's A League wrap up. Um, I'm glad we ended on a laugh. Say, do, do you want to have a quick chat around how you think the coaches did?
0: Oh,
3: do you want to have that?
0: Cam yeah. throwing chaos grenades. Mm. No, I was actually, I was actually really, uh, really stoked with the way that net did. I think we started out from a position. Which where we weren't playing particularly well. And by the end of the season, we'd beaten top of the table. We'd uh, lost six, was it six games, one nil, And we all agree that the biggest flaw we had was the lack of a nine to put away, the uh, like an experienced nine, to put away those opportunities that we were definitely creating in games. And we were competitive in lots and lots of games. And yes, we were outplayed in several of them and we didn't get close in some of them. But we all went into that last game knowing that we had a chance of playing and beating a a Melbourne victory side who were playing in the playoffs. So I think she's taken a squad that she inherited late, obviously, because she didn't get a full full pre-season because we had... Oh, God. Gemma. Gemma, that's it. Uh, Gemma in there prior to her for at least a week or two before she's gone overseas. So she hasn't got a full season. There were players signed before she's taken over and she's managed to build and she's lost her captain and starting goalkeeper. She's had a string of injuries uh, which, you know, from the beginning with uh, key players. Yet she's still built a decent team and a team that by the end of it we can be quite proud of.
3: Yeah. Completely agree. I think she's an excellent tactician. What she did against Sydney FC, who is a team that most coaches in the league cannot work out how to neutralise, was a masterclass. Um, I think that you know, if we can fill some of those personnel gaps and if the club wants to look overseas and get a kind of marquee style import yeah. with whatever that looks like resource wise, I think she is the right person for that role because I think she's an extremely good tactical thinker.
1: I'm gonna put I'm gonna say I agree, but put a caveat on it. I think she's a really good tactician when she's reacting to a particular style. She struggles with uh, uh, imposing a st- when we were actually a better team imposing ourselves on the game, the Canberra game um, accepted. There was a, quite a few teams where we got on top of it and They just, we didn't seem to know on the field how to, how to make the most out of that. And I think maybe that's a bit of uh, player uh, inexperience, but you really want the coach to then get in behind them and kind of like go, hey, this is what you need to be doing. Yeah.
4: I, I think yeah you've got to you've got to look at the the season and say you'd be really proud of what you've what you've seen come out of that team. I mean we know there's a gap in quality there as well. Um, you know it's a, it's a relatively new outfit entirely. As you say, the players were um, at least partially signed before she was on board, and there, and there's a clear gap in quality between our side and other sides in the league. And yet you still felt like in most of those games we went out there and we could have got all three points. Um, it wasn't like we were going out there just to see how many we we're gonna lose by. Obviously some games did kinda of go that way, but I I think you look at it from a coaching perspective and, and say that the season has to be viewed as a success. We because of because of exactly that. On on any given day, we were able to beat any team in the league. And we showed that against Sydney, you know, um, was with, with, you know, just really good results. Um, but I think the only thing I would potentially criticize, and it's it's a hard one because I I don't know if it's so much on the coach, but I think the coach does have influence over it, is we saw those patches where we concede one and it was instead concede two or three. You know, we we saw a lot of head dropping moments that without those, to be honest, we probably pick up a handful, at least more points this season, because instead of just biffing one, we biffed three and we're out of the game. Um, and so I think some of that's on the on the players, and there's some inexperience there, and there, there's lots of things. But I think at the end of the day, coach has to find ways to fix that within their squad, whatever that might be, um, you know. And so I, I would hope going into next season that that's a thing we we don't see so much as just you know those ten minute patches absolutely killing the side when we have put eighty
2: good minutes out there. Yeah, I think it's it's clear the team has improved from last season, not just in results, because they have. They've won more games, got more points, and the games they have lost have been a lot closer. Um, I think, you know, in general, they've performed better than last season. Now, is that enough to get another year? I think I think it's fair for the club to have a little nose around and see who else is on offer, because, you know, Nat was signed last minute because she was already in the system. And I don't know if that gives her a, a free pass to, to next season. Uh, now, I don't know if there is anyone else there. I think it's absolutely important that it's a female coach because we need to create a, a pipeline, um, and, and a pathway, not just for players, but for staff, um, more broadly. Um, and, and I don't know if there's anyone else out there who's a Kiwi preferably or have had very strong New Zealand connections. Um, that is a better option. Um, Elena might, might know more, but it, it, I think it's fair for the club to have a, to take a a month or two to to consider if there's there's a a better path to go down.
3: Yeah, I mean, the only person that comes to mind is Alani Gunn in mainland, but I I wouldn't be making that change. So I think you're right. I think everything you've said is bang on.
2: Does that make up for my Michaela Foster surprising player?
3: I don't disagree with that. I just think it's interesting that I just forget, I guess, what a bubble women's football was for a very long time around that time period. Like, it was quite niche knowledge. But I just forget that. It's actually been a rapid ascent into awareness for a lot of these players.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's actually a fair assessment. And I don't think a lot of them, even after having played last season for, for some of them, because they're based in Australia and we didn't see them here in person able to do those appearances and they've done quite a few of those and getting out to schools and into the community and stuff around the around Wellington that be, creates that brand awareness and creates that player awareness I don't think that many of them would have experienced that or expected that from the start of the season either
3: no definitely not and it's Well, you don't, the other thing is like, you don't grow up thinking that you're going to be a professional footballer. So you don't think about, you don't imagine doing interviews. You don't imagine people knowing who you are. You don't imagine your your name on the back of a shirt. So all of that stuff, it's very new, very novel. So I guess all things considered, it's still to me, I still just think like they don't play that well some weeks, but it's every time I see like a Phoenix women's team, I still have this kind of childlike, whoa, that's amazing, you know?
0: I've got two highlights from the season. Before this women's team was created, my daughter has shown no interest in football at all. And that interest has just come about because we have a women's team. And that's it. And she's still not the type that's going to sit down and watch a game. Uh, like for 90 minutes, she's just not that person. If it's not dancing, she won't do it. But she's actually taking a physical interest in the sport purely because of that woman's team. And she got to go and do the coin toss one of those games. And it was the Canberra win. So uh, it's late. she... It's it was yeah, It was, yeah. And the whole thing, the whole positive experience she had around that day and the way that she was treated by... Everybody, when she was there, shows what an awesome thing having this team in general is for women's sport in New Zealand. It's
3: totally irreplaceable. I just, like, think about all the moments. Like, I, so, you know, at the moment in my parents' house, I can see that back garden where I used to run around playing against my brothers and reenacting, like, Paul goals, goals or Leo Bertos. Like, I wanted to, like, be... Leo Birdos, I wanted to play for the Phoenix men and my parents were like, you cannot you cannot do that and it was this moment of being like I remember it, I was 10, I was like, well this is dumb like, what am I doing Like, look at my stack of McDonald's player of the day vouchers what am I supposed to do with them if I can't be Leo Birdos and I just can't imagine what it would have been like if the goals I got to reenact were with people that looked like me and if I could have actually not that I ever would have been a professional footballer, that was never going to happen, but if it had if it had been there as an option. You know, I just think it's so, so powerful and it's something that's very easy to forget now because we've come so far so fast. But two, three years ago, this was unthinkable.
1: I'm going to wrap it back to a different level of pain. The uh, men are playing uh, Brisbane up in Eden Park. Your home turf, Helena, I'm sure you'll be going along. Uh, Sunday... Nope. I'm officially in Wellington. (laughs) Oh, the irony. So that
3: went well. Go the mighty Phoenix, the Fortress Eden Park. The home of football will turn out for you. (laughs) I said that to inflame the pod. I don't believe that Orkin is the home of football.
0: Uh, No. And I don't believe they'll turn out for the Phoenix.
3: They might try. It just takes four hours to get anywhere.
0: Um uh, two people that also
1: won't be uh turning out for that is Laws. Obviously he got a one match ban, someone told me here earlier on. Yeah. Quite quite lucky
4: to only get one I week, thought I think so. so. Too. Be happy there. We'll take
1: it. Um and no word on Mr. Wooten by the look of it. Uh I'm um,
3: makeshift backline time. Yeah.
1: Um uh, I've thought Finn Sermon has looked like he might be a Pretty good potential player, and I hope he gets more time. I just wish it wasn't right this time of the season, and in this when we need these points. Um, Well, it's going to be it's going to be boxall, isn't it? Boxall and pain. Oh God! There'll definitely be pain. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Of that, we can be sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Must win. Uh, Let's give it the quick predictions before we go, because Dale's got a nice epic pod to to um. Edit. Uh, scores here. Dale, you can lead us off. Oh
2: God, I desperately hope we win.
1: <laughs> I mean, yes, I mean
2: for, for a few reasons. One, one, I think it takes a little bit of pressure off the chasing pack, and I think basically one win will get us into the six, and we can kind of just stop looking behind Post. us. And two, and, and two, it actually opens us up, us up to finish fourth if we really wanted to, because we've got Western, uh, Western Sydney the following week, where if we beat them, we'll go within one point. And Western United uh Western sorry, Western City then finished with Melbourne City away. I think Melbourne well, City away the following mm. week. So
1: Yep. Uh it's Wanderers have a very tough run in. We have only the Wanderers, I think, in, in MacArthur. Yeah. After Brisbane. Yeah. Uh so yeah. Uh Dale, you want to give us a score prediction? And not just hoping. Uh, no.
2: No, uh to 2 I think.
0: To the Phoenix, I think he means there, bud.
1: <laughs> one, two,
0: <three. laughs>
4: yeah. yeah, he's hedging like a champion yeah. should. Um, yeah. I'll go two-one Phoenix. That's very much picking with the heart, though, not with the
0: head. No, we're going to smash him in three-one, easy win. Yeah, they're going to score late, but we're going to win at three-one and uh, I mean, absolutely yeah. destroy
4: them with no backline. We're conceding,
0: right? So yeah, yeah, but only one because we'll do great in midfield.
4: 3-2 to
3: the Phoenix. I
1: was going to say exactly the same. 3-2. Uh, Zawada. I'm sure he's got a hat-trick in him. Yeah, I can going to say, you're
0: going for a Zawada hat-trick, aren't
1: you?
3: Please, football gods. No one else
1: is scoring them, so why not fill your boots, my son? Um,
3: what if Costa Barresa comes out and scores a hat-trick? I will
0: be very surprised. Oh, oh, I, feel, I feel so bad for him, man, honestly. Because you don't become a shit footballer overnight. He's, he's just in the... Uh, but he's, he's just on the worst run you can imagine. And I just.
3: I believe in you, Costa. Uh, I'm, I've, I,
0: I, I just. I feel so bad for him because I know he's hes working his ass off and it's just not happening for him. It's. Uh, I feel. I'm, honestly, I really feel for him. Hat
3: trick from Costa. You heard it here first. I'm manifesting it, putting it into the universe.
1: <laughs> I mean, if he scores one, I think that, would that be counts as a Costa hat trick. Yeah.
3: If he scores one, he can score three. How hard can it possibly be?
1: Uh, let's hope the Knicks can make a bit of consistency and yeah, get a nice win over the Raw to keep everything looking good for the season. I'm going to sign it off there because this is a monster pod for Dale to edit. Good luck, my son. And with that...
4: How did you turn a game that no one wanted to talk about into an hour and 40 minutes?
0: No, <laughs> how,
1: how did I? I didn't make the agenda. <laughs> I love that you're delaying it even further just to give more angst.
0: That's that's deliberate. He's done that on purpose.
2: He's he's making up for last last week and missing out. He's like doubled up.
0: Nice. Um, Let's just close it off.
1: And I'll say thank you for listening. Uh, Hopefully we're back with uh, three points in the bag and a great game to discuss next week. Uh, Dave has more to say, but I'm just going to say no. Bye all. Bye, Dave. Bye all.
4: See